Hey, good to worship with you all. And uh, today we um, look at this topic of patience. And probably one of the things that we hate the most is having to wait, right? And especially in our day and age and how fast things have changed in the last five, 10 years. Man, if you have to wait, how do you think about that? Um, they say, boy, it's not going to arrive till later. You have to wait. I mean, you almost get like an allergic reaction to that, right? When you look at your map on, on your you know, phone or whatever, and you see just red, and it's going to be delayed. You hate that. And you want things that you buy. You want it now delivered, not just next week, but you want it. Man, I need it here today. I want it here within the hour. And so we are a society that is just up to speed on everything. And the moment something slows down, our frustra frustration level shoots up, and uh, we complain, and we hate this. And uh, the things that are important, the things in life, boy, we want it so fast. Even in relationships, people go on their apps, and they want to meet people to, to hook up with. They don't want to go through the time and the patience of knowing someone and getting married to someone. They just want to jump to that. And you think about, and human relationships is like that, and it's like that in our spiritual relationships. We want something instantaneous from God. We want to pray, we want a formula, and so the books that are selling well, you know, man, your best life now, like how am I going to get this now, or how I should pray a certain type of prayer and get my answers now. And I want things done now. And probably the three letters that... You know, we hate the most, right? When we think about this topic is, you know, DMV, right? When you get there and the lines are just, and you go there without an appointment, right? And you're, they give you a ticket and you are Z28 and they're calling out B5, you know? And you're just like, oh my gosh, and uh, how difficult that is. Well, today we look at this topic of patience, of waiting. Um, and when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, uh, sometimes we want it quick. I want to pray and I want God to answer. It is uh, Eugene Peterson, and I have this quote I want to share with you. He says, there is a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations for Christians called holiness. It's the long process the things that take a long time. We don't want to do anything with that. We just want it now. Um, I want to take this and I want to learn this. I want to hear one sermon. I want to say one prayer and, and have it done now. But it takes time. It is uh, uh, John Piper who said, and I quote him, impatience is a form of unbelief. It is what we begin to feel when we start to doubt the wisdom of God's timing. Impatience is a form of unbelief. And so in today's uh, message here, we look at James chapter 5, and we're going to look at, he tells us to be patient. He gives three examples of how, uh, what patience looks like. Two from the Bible, one from the world. And then we're going to wrap up with a couple thoughts on about that, right? Um, but these three examples covers, I think, our, uh, excuse me, all of our general experience of patience and suffering. I think those three examples covers all of that. Um, and so we want to look at that. You know, just the background on this, you know, from the end of chapter 4 
all the way till now, James is giving a warning against the rich of this world. Uh, for the rich to not be prideful. For the rich. And he, there is a particular uh, mindset that the rich might have that others won't. And some of you are here today saying, well, it doesn't apply to me. I'm not that rich. But last week we had Dr. Thomas here sharing about what they're doing in India. And from a global perspective, we are all rich. You know, uh, most of our homes, we have more than one TV. Most, most of us, have, you know, a number of cars are equal to the number of people that could drive and so on. We are all rich. And so there is a particular warning to those who are rich in this world. And one of them that we look at here is patience. And I was thinking about why does God tell the rich people to be patient? Why does he tell us to be patient? Because rich people like to have control. Rich people have some kind of influence. Rich people have some kind of resources to make things happen. And there's a sense of entitlement. I'm rich. I deserve something better. I paid for this. I deserve a better service. I want this quickly. And he says, when that gets into the soul and in your walk with God, um, that slows down uh, our whole process that God is working in us. And it's interesting, right? We all suffer. We all have gone through suffering. And I, I've spoken with so many of you um, at various times, and we've prayed for each other and so on. What I hear sometimes, and you've heard this too, is the idea of um, suffering equating to the absence of God. Um, suffering now validating this idea of atheism. And there are Christians that go through something difficult. Boy, someone at home is going through something hard. There are financial hardships. And the first thing many people say is, well, where's God? God, where are you in this? How could you let this happen? And this age-old question of, well, why does God allow suffering? Where is God in this? Have been studied and written on uh, by philosophers and theologians uh, ever since uh, we could imagine. But that question is there. What James is telling us is interesting. When we get to this passage, he keeps talking about the coming of the Lord, the presence of the Lord, the coming of the Lord. He will be in your midst, this idea. What James is actually telling us, he says, in your suffering, there is proof that God is with you. So if you think if God is with me, my life would be perfect, he goes, no, actually, that's unbiblical. He, he uses examples from the Old Testament to demonstrate in your hardships, in your difficulties, when you are waiting for God to move and his timing is not your timing, that is actual proof that God is there. This is what the Christian life looks like. And so this is what he argues here with these examples. Uh, and he tells us to now be patient, right? Example number one, let's jump into these examples. Example number one is this picture of a farmer. It's a common illustration. Um, obviously, uh, we're not near or close to farmers and where we live, but it explains a lot here. The farmer, it's all about circumstances. The farmer's patience, or impatience rather, is dictated upon his circumstances and lack their control of. All of us have to deal with this. All of us have to deal with things that are beyond our control. Um, last night, my youngest, Ashley, got invited by a friend to go to Magic Mountain. I was like, Magic Mountain? You know, you couldn't pay me to go to Magic Mountain now, right? And so I was like, oh, that's, that's hard work. They shake you up, throw you around. I mean, it's hot over there. Anyways, uh, she went. The parents, uh, her friend's parents said, oh, we'll take, you know, take her and 
Um, they even gave her a free ticket. So I said, well, at least we should offer. And I said, well, ask if maybe I could pick you guys up, hoping that said, no, you know, we'll be in the area. Like, you know, they say, and then within a second, yes, thank you, you know, and so, okay. Um, so I said, well, actually, um, the park closed at 10. You want me to pick you up around 7? She goes, no, 10. And I was like, oh, you know, and um, so I'm driving out there, and um, the irony of this, you know, these people that are driving 60 miles an hour in the fast lane, I am high-beaming all of them. And I am rehearsing my sermon kind of as I'm driving on patients. And I was like, God, um, you know, Looking on my phone, should I take the 210 or the 5 or the 6? You know, what's the fastest? You could save two minutes if you take. All right, you know, it's huge. But you think about this, right? This illustration of the farmer describes someone who has nothing, all the circumstances in life is out of his control, his or her control, the farmer. Look at verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. The farmer has to wait. The farmer plants, sows, and he has to wait. There's a frustration when you are a proactive person, but you're called to be a farmer. Because the only thing you can do is wait. And it's interesting, it tells us that they wait for the early rain and the late rains. Um, you know, commentators talk about that and how uh, the early rains were so important because it made the ground fertile. You needed the rain to come down and then you would put the seeds in. And the late rains were very important. Right before harvest, it would just be the last bit of rain. You know, there would be the rain during rainy season between December and February. But the early and the rain, uh, the late rains, it's not part of the natural climate. You have to wait. And the farmer has no control. And with no control, he waits. Now you think about life. You think about all the things we think we can control, but we can't. You think about all the bad news you might have received that you are trying to control your life and not have that, but it's there. And he says, whatever is out of your hands, whatever is out of your control, it's okay. Wait until the coming of the Lord. This idea that God is coming, God will be with you, and he will make all things okay. He will make all of these problems okay. So wait like this farmer. And it is difficult when you can do nothing. You know, you can't do a rain dance or do some kind of formula. Or especially a farmer in those days didn't have the technology as much to bring water in and turn on a hose. They had to wait. And maybe some of you are just stuck, you feel like. And you want to go out and do something about it. But God is telling you to wait. And how difficult that is. When our circumstances don't go our way, you know, on Father's Day today, you think about this. Uh, probably the one thing that all fathers have in common to be a good father, patience. Just waiting. First of all, you're waiting nine months. Like, okay, you got to paint the room and you're waiting. You're waiting on this child and this baby is born and you're like, please go to sleep. Um, I need to sleep and they want to play, you know. And, and it's just waiting and waiting and waiting. Um, and so this idea of the farmer is mentioned here. The second example is, is from the Bible. 
So James, again, is saying, if you go through hardships, this is what people of God go through. This does not mean that God is not existent in your life. This actually means that you are part of God's people. And who had to wait? It was the prophets. That's the second example. And we see this in verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brother, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Out of all people that had to go through suffering and hardships, it, were, it was the prophets. Who was there waiting on? Who were who they waiting on? Or what was their suffering? It wasn't so much circumstances. Now it's people. You know, sometimes you say, boy, wouldn't life be easier, man, if these people weren't in our lives, right? And you have people in mind, that person that lives next door to your house, or that sits next to you at work, or that person that lives in your house, or whatever it is, right? You say, oh, it's just people. I have to be patient with people. I have to learn to be patient with uh, my neighbors. And you think about the prophet's work. You think, Jeremiah preached his whole life, and nobody repented. Imagine the frustration and the confusion. God, am I called to this? God, are you calling me to this? Yes, I've called you. Since you were in your mother's womb, I've called you to go as a prophet to the nations. Okay, and he's preaching, and nobody is listening. You think about the, the suffering that Hosea had to go through. God said, tell him to marry Gomer, who is a... A prostitute, and she is unfaithful continuously. He has to keep buying her back. This is stuff that the prophets were going through, the problems with people. And in the midst of it, he says, just wait. Look at their example of suffering and patience in the name of the Lord. Wait. It is the prophet Isaiah in chapter 40, verse 31, that we know so well that they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Patience. Right? You know, as, as a father, I think back on times like this and, you know, uh, the experience that a lot of us have had raising children with patience. The moment they're able to speak, what do they say to you? They say, no. You know, like, you know, hey, I want you to eat your veggies. No, you know, and uh, I want you to go to bed now, turn off the TV. No, you know, I want you to put all that stuff back when you're shopping at Target. Put everything back. You can't have any of it. No, you know, and uh, there's a meltdown happens, and then they get a little older, enter elementary school, and they start asking you, I want you to eat your veggies and do this. Why? You know, like, that's even worse. They're like, oh, I wish they just said no. Not why? They want to have a dialogue? Why? You know, why not? You know, and... Um, and then the smart father always says, well, talk to your mom about it, you know. Um, I just told to have you put that away. And then they become teenagers. And then all of a sudden, there's no response. Like, you talk to them and you say something. Just, <laughs> just drive. You know, just do your job, Dad. Just drive. Go pay for something. And so I'm sharing. Um, I don't share that from experience. I'm just, that's what I've heard. <laughs> all right. Um, but we wait on people, and it is difficult. And the third example that's given is the Job suffering, the hardship. So we have just circumstances in life, things like traffic, uh, things like difficulties, things like things, uh, nuisance in life. And then you have the prophets that had to deal with people. 
the hardships of people. And then the third is actual loss and suffering. You look at verse 11, Behold, we consider those blessed to remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And you look at this. I mean, Job is the, excuse me, the poster child, in a way, of suffering. Whenever we go through something, you want to go to Job and say, what can I learn from this? And as Job loses his health, he loses his children, he loses his wealth, the only thing that's left for him is his faith in God. His wife who tells him to now deny God, his friends who accuse him of wrongdoing, and he is left there by himself. He suffers. He says in Job chapter 5, verse 7 and 8, man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. Man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. This is life. You're born and life is tough. And it's interesting because, you know, you go through the story of Job and he loses everything. And at the end, the uh, last couple of chapters, there's a discussion between God and Job. And Job now goes to God and has all these things to say to him. But at the end of the book, the last thing that God says to Job is he doesn't answer any of the questions. But he gives him 77 questions back to Job. Where were you when Leviathan was made? Can you, you know, deal with this? And he asks all these questions about his ability. And when you first read that, you say, oh, God is so cruel. Why doesn't he answer him? But I think he answers him. He answers him by saying, basically, you don't understand, but I do. By asking him these questions that he cannot answer, that silences and humbles Job, he says, I have answers that you can't fathom. Just trust me. And so as we are going through suffering, as you are going through hardships, and maybe you have gotten those phone calls from the doctor and from a relative. And boy, it is this and it's at this stage. And you are reading material that you have never thought you'd have to study to figure out how to help these people. Or they're going, your loved one is going through some suffering and loss. And you're trying to figure out with the small means that you have how to help them. You're going through all of that. And you're in this difficult time. And you say, God, where are you? God, how can this happen? He asks us back. He says, hey, it's not so good enough that you understand. But it's good to know that he knows. I listened to this sermon by Derek Thomas. on the, He does a whole series on Job. And he sums it up so well as he talks about this. That it is not so much God giving all the answers, but God telling Job, I know, so just trust me. That ought to be satisfying enough, because you may not understand, but I know. So what are we to do? As we are called to a life of suffering sometimes, life of uh, patience, dealing with people, life of things out of our control, like the farmer, just waiting, waiting, 
And in the midst of that, that it is so difficult, what are we to do? Two applications that we get from this text. Number one, he tells us, James tells us to establish your hearts. I love that command. Establish your hearts, it says in verse 8. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Again, here is the reason. The end is already done by God. He will come and fix these things. Establish your hearts. The word establish there uh, is translated in the King James as strengthen your hearts. Um, it's the picture of a prop, you know, some kind of support underneath you. You know, so if you're standing, man, something else to lean on like this. And he's saying, hey, go and make sure your heart is strengthened. That word establish is used to describe in um, Romans chapter 1, as Paul wanted to visit the Christians in Rome, I want to go and strengthen you or establish your faith. Or in Luke twenty-two thirty-two, where Peter is called by the Lord to establish his brethren, to support them. And so let me encourage you, maybe because our hearts are so deceptive. Our hearts are so wishy-washy. Our hearts, boy, you can have everything going well and you still feel bad for some reason. And our hearts go back and forth and it wanders here and there. Establish your heart. Strengthen your heart. You have the option and the choice to do that, to strengthen your heart. And this happens by knowing after it's all said and done, when my health is gone and my time is done or this hardship is here, when it's all said and done, God will redeem all these things. God will take care of me. And that is the answer. That is the goal that we have. You know, there's a story of a famous Olympian in 1968 Olympics in uh, Mexico. It was for the marathon. And this guy, uh, John Akwari from Tanzania, was one of the uh, participants. He was sent by his country to go run this race. He is famous not because he won gold or even silver or bronze. He is, came in last, actually. But there is a famous story of how out of 75 runners, only 18 completed because the altitude was so high, the air was so thin, they were not used to this. And so runners are just dropping out, cramps, and they can't do this. The last runner, John Akwari, he falls, he, he damages his knee, he wraps it up, and he's going. And now the race is done. They've already had the medal ceremony. He's still going. And he is hobbling along this path. The media gets a hold of him, and they start coming, and they start filming him as he's going. So there's a lot of footage of him running the race. This, it gets out in the news, so people who have all left the stadium are coming back now to cheer him on. And there's a scene, he comes into the stadium, and the people are giving him a standing ovation, and he finishes this race. And they stick a mic in his face, and they say, why did you do this? So many people just quit. You're injured. Why didn't you quit? Why did you do this? And his answer, he says, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. My country sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. God has sent all of us on this journey, not just to start it at one point. He says, finish the race. Fight the good fight. Finish it. Walk with God faithfully till the end. Establish your heart because he will give us that strength. And maybe you are discouraged. Maybe you are tired of fighting, tired of waiting. 
You're not getting any answers. You don't know where to go. Let me encourage you to establish your heart. Let the gospel message give you that strength that no other message in this world, no doctor, no one else can give you that kind of hope that we find in the Lord. Establish your hearts in this way. And the second thing he tells us, he says, do not grumble, right? In verse 9, do not grumble against one another. It's interesting. James says, be patient. Let your patience flourish in your heart and in your mouth. Let it be very practical. Establish your heart and don't let your words be filled with complaining. And boy, we are easy complainers in this day and age. Do not grumble against one another, brothers. Again, the presence of God is mentioned. The judge is standing at the door. He's here. So the people in your life who you are, God, you are exercising patience. Don't grumble against them, about them. The circumstances you have no control over, don't grumble over the rain. Just wait. The suffering you're going through. I don't want to make light. I'm not making light of it, but don't grumble about it. Because God is there, he is in the midst of our lives. We can say, I can praise him in the midst of this. I close with this verse in verse 11, the last part. See how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. James reminds us, strengthen your hearts, understand this truth. Let your lips be filled with gratitude and thanksgiving because why? The Lord Jesus Christ, he is compassionate. The word compassion means it's a, it's a movement on the inside, in the guts of a person. Uh, you know, today we say someone's heart is breaking for something. It's kind of the same idea. But it shows the place that it is genuine, it is deep, it's in the depths of a person that they are moved so when Christ looks at your life and what you might be going through and the tears that you are shedding, he is now compassionate. He feels what you feel. But not only that, he is merciful. He acts. His mercies are new every day. He will sustain you through what you are going through. He will give you the power to now overcome these things. And ultimately, at the end, it will all be made perfect. And so we have hope. We can wait. We trust in him because he is with us. Let's pray together. Um, thank you, Lord, for this thought. It, it goes against our nature in this day and age. Uh, we don't want to wait for anything. But Lord, uh, we ourselves are in progress. You are working in us. You are working through us. So we pray. All the circumstances that we have no control over, give us patience. The people in our lives that, Lord, we get frustrated or short-tempered at, God, give us patience. And whatever suffering, whatever losses, whatever heartbreak some of us are going through, we can endure. Because you are there. You are compassionate. You are merciful. So we live life, uh, we carry on. Our hearts are established, God. Our lips are filled with praise because of you. So we thank you, God, and uh, we ask your blessing uh, upon us. We pray in Jesus' name.